a cell phone to do that, and this is completely my fault, uh, and I apologize ahead of time. Great, I'm just gonna leave this right here. Hopefully I don't move around too much, but since I'm mic'd, that should help with that. You guys have been uh, looking at defying gravity as a congregation and having conversations around that, and today, uh, Matt uh, stuck me with maybe one of the harder sessions. Uh, Matt and I are friends, so he can do that, I guess. Um, it's all about generosity. And before you get up and pretend like you have to go use the restroom until the Star Wars small group, um, where it's not just about money. There's a lot to generosity. In fact, for me, one of the things and people that I think of when I think of generosity uh, is my grandfather. My grandfather uh, served in the Air Force during the Korean War, was known as an uh, intense uh, card player and man at times. Uh, we would play hearts. Uh, I don't know if anybody in here plays hearts. Uh, he used to count cards. And so after the first, uh, they call each little round a trick. After the first trick, he would know exactly what you had in your hand. And I was usually paired up with my grandfather in partners, because you can play hearts and partners. And he, I would play a card, he would look at me and go, you should have played the 10. And of course I look at my hand and I had the 10 of whatever suit it was. And I, I don't know quite how he did it, uh, but this was just the way he was. And I heard that when I was younger, uh, that was much better than it had been in the past. Uh, he was just a very, very uh, wonderful man. Uh, but again, could be a little bit intense. But that's not how I remember my grandfather growing up. Uh, certainly there were these once in a while card games that would show me that he knew exactly what he was talking about. But I remember when my grandmother died, I was about four years old, and my grandfather, uh, from what I could tell and piece together, uh, he really wanted to spend time with family. Uh, in fact, uh, so I was the closest grandchild uh, to where he was, and um, at the time he lived uh, up in Baltimore. And so every Saturday we would go out, and, uh, and I would love these Saturday trips with my grandfather. We would uh, eat these, uh, he would always buy me these pinwheel cookies. I don't know if anybody's ever had those. They're like chocolate with like cake and marshmallow in it. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's why I may have a little ADD now. Um, <laughs> That's not a medical thing. And wheels do not cause ADD since I'm being recorded. Uh, I have to make sure I put that in so I don't get sued. Um, but I, I remember eating these every single week. And as an adult, uh, actually a couple weeks ago, I, I went and I wanted to find these cookies somewhere. Uh, I, what I realized, because you know, you kind of go through life and you're like, well, is it just nostalgia? Like, was it just that good because I was four? and the sugar rush and all those kinds of things that kick in, or were they really that good? I come to find out they're super expensive, uh, so I'll just let nostalgia continue to run its course on that. But he would have that for me. We would go to my grandmother's grave. We would spend time together uh, each and every Saturday. He would usually take me to the mall and buy me a toy, which my parents loved. Um, but the way I would describe my grandfather is a person of generosity someone who spent time and energy and resources uh, to make sure to, that I knew I was loved and I was cared for. And certainly that was part of his own grief process was spending time with me, uh, come to see it later, but I just loved spending Saturdays with my grandfather and did it every single Saturday. 
as I said earlier, we were talking about generosity here uh, this morning, and I want to show, uh, read from Luke chapter 16, uh, verse 13. It says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Friends, we know generosity when we see it. In fact, the other day, uh, and you can put up the picture of my kids. I have two kids. Um, this is Josiah. This is them at Halloween. Very cute. This is Josiah. It's my oldest. He dressed up as Link. His mom, because she's a genius and I'm not, I decided to give him a green sweater uh, that he can use other times of the year instead of just, you know, a, a, a cheap costume that would probably break five minutes into it. She's very smart. Uh, this is my youngest. Uh, this is Benjamin. And this is at his preschool. They did a, a Halloween day. Uh, he dressed up as a lion. Very cute. Uh, he, he's, he's interesting. You can go to the next one, too, of Benjamin. So that night, oh, and that's his, I don't know what happened with that one. Anyway, go back. That's scaling issues. Go, can you go back? Yeah, perfect. So we'll just look at him there. Um, Benjamin is a very different child than my firstborn. Uh, Benjamin is very strong-headed. Uh, very assertive, which are all great qualities. I think he gets them from his mother, because I'm, no, he gets them from me. So we butt heads all the time. Uh, but Benjamin doesn't sleep through the night. The kid stays up till 11 o'clock in the evening and probably wakes up at five in the morning. And so I am just besides myself most days. I'm, I don't know, any of you parents ever had that where like you're just your two-year-old won't sleep or your kid won't sleep? I see some heads nodding, I appreciate that. Even if you're lying, I appreciate some sympathy. <laughs> Benjamin slept, and he won't sleep in his bed. Uh, so we're terrible parents. We decided at some point we need to sleep. Uh, so we, we just was like, whatever, come on in. The other night, it was Thursday. I remember it because it was such a great night. Benjamin slept in his own bed. And I promised him, because I'm, I'm, friends, I may look like a guy who might have something together, but with him, I, I have nothing together. I'm like, buddy, please, please go sleep in your own bed. Please. I will buy you Dunkin' Donuts tomorrow morning if you would sleep in your bed. And he did. He slept through the entire night. It was, it was glorious. I was praising God the whole next morning. And I'm on my way to Dunkin' Donuts because... Because, you know, I don't want to ruin this, right? Like, if this is what's going to work, I'm okay with one day of going and getting Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, spoiler alert, it didn't work any other night this week. <laughs> but I'm in line, and there's a gentleman standing up at the front of the line at Dunkin' Donuts. And I walk in. I've got my order. I'm going to get some munchkins. Um, I'm disappointed because they ran out of pumpkin munchkins, which I love. Um, I'm pumpkin anything. Again, that's the ADD wearing in. I'd start thinking about pumpkin stuff. But I, but I go up and I say, I would like 25 munchkins. And I would like most of them to be chocolate because I'm bribing a two-year-old. And the gentleman says, great. And he just scans his, his rewards card or his payment card. And I was like, man, that's awesome. Not only did my kids sleep through the night, but I just got free munchkins. And the gentleman did this for about four or five people uh, that were there. Um, and I just remember just this overwhelming sense of gratitude um, because this was generosity. And while I appreciated it so much, I was struck 
by my first instinct of this is the, the epitome of generosity. Well, friends, I think that that may be part of the problem when we think about generosity is we think of these one-time gifts or these one-time ways of doing things. And we don't see that underneath that man's gift to me probably was a lifestyle devoted to being generous to other people. You know, in the United Methodist Church, when we, and when we gain new members, uh, when we baptize children, uh, we ask for a promise from the families or from the people joining the church. We ask that they would give to the church, not just money, but also their time, their attendance, their presence, their service, their prayers, and their witness as well. And these things really develop this sense of, my gosh, this is a generous person. To give all these things for somebody else creates generosity. So this weekend, especially, thinking through generosity, I want to tell you a story of when I realized I wasn't very generous, even though I spent a lot of money to be generous, and get us to start thinking about this deeper lifestyle. When I was a sophomore in, uh, no, I was just out of college. Sophomore, just out of college, really close together. I was just out of college. It all starts running together, I think, the older you get. Uh, we, I had an opportunity to go on a trip. And it was to South Africa. And I went with my mentor from college, my campus minister. And since I'm a campus minister now, I, I get how cool that, that is. Um, so I try to spend more time with our students one-on-one and having conversations with them. But I got to go on this two-and-a-half-week trip. And my uh, mentor is just the, an awesome guy. He gets to go internationally and speak at conferences and retreats and do all these kinds of things. And I get to kind of be his personal assistant for the, for the week. He never treated me like that, but, but that's kind of how I felt. Like, I was like, yes, I get to go around with Ron. Well, one day, Ron had to be at an all-day church meeting. And I don't know about you, but when I think of all-day church meetings, I'm like, how do I get out of this, right? How do I find something else to do? And Ron, knowing that all-day church meetings can be kind of boring, um, he goes, you know what? I have a great opportunity for you. I have a, a gentleman from the church who's not going to this. I think the guy at the church was really trying to get out of the all-day church meeting, too, to be fair. But we sit back, and he says, I want to take you, I want him to take you to an AIDS hospital to go and do work. Now, I had spent a lot of money to go to South Africa. I want, I want to be very clear. And I thought I was going... That I, I, you know, I was the bee's knees. I raised my own money. I paid a lot of money myself. And so the problem wasn't money. But I want to tell you, at this AIDS hospital, I was not very generous. And I'll share this story. So the evangelists, we went around, and we went to various rooms. And this was a women's and children's AIDS hospital. And I, again, I was probably 22 years at the time, so it's been a long time. I can speak to this and not, so don't feel bad. Don't, don't come up afterwards and be like, oh, you're okay. I'm, I'm really okay now. It was maybe the greatest learning experience of my life and has shaped my ministry. But I remember going to a woman who was getting ready to die of AIDS. We knew she probably had a, an hour left. And the evangelist uh, who only spoke English, whereas most of the patients in the hospital only spoke, spoke Zulu, um, he went up to her and he said, hey, Repeat after me. That's the only Zulu he knew. So he goes up and says, repeat after me. And says basically the salvation prayer 
in English. She has no idea what she's saying because she doesn't speak English. And as soon as we finish that, we leave. We leave. 20 minutes later, and I kid you not, that is how long, we hear a blood-curdling scream coming from this woman's, uh, and when I say room, it's basically dividers, like in a big room like this. We hear this coming out. And I knew immediately what that was, that that was her getting ready to pass away. And in my heart of hearts, I realized that, again, I was not very generous in that moment. That while we had prayed a prayer, why had we not stayed and held her hand? Why had we not stayed and cared for this woman? Now, I guarantee you, Jesus was with that woman. God was with that woman. But when I think of for 20 additional minutes, I could have sat and just held this woman's hand as she passed from this side to eternity. What difference might that have made? That was not very generous. And ever since that moment, I realized the importance of generosity, the importance of giving time, of giving myself to another. Friends, this weekend we honor veterans as well. Yesterday was Veterans Day, and for me, again, my grandfather, Air Force veteran, served our country, put everything on the line for something he believed in, for a country he believed in. Two extremes. Me, early 20s, hospital in South Africa, and veterans. And by the way, if you're a veteran today and you're here, thank you so much for your service. How do we as church members move from a place into a place of generosity as a lifestyle. I want to look real quick at Luke 16, verses 10 to 12. Because Jesus realizes that there are things in life that are worth giving your all for. And when we give everything we have, material possessions, some time, service, witness, prayer, that this makes a real difference in the world around us. And we can begin to see God changing lives all around us. Jesus said this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Friends, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm not very trustworthy and not very generous with the things that God has given me. Oftentimes, I will sit back and I will think about how I need to keep on to this, or I need to do this, or I'm being selfish with my time. And, and again, this isn't that you give away everything. Please don't go tell Pastor Matt you're, you're living a hermit's life because of Drew and you're just giving everything away to everyone else. Please don't do that. We, I still want to be his friend after this weekend. But I think the thing is, is what kind of spirit do we have? Do we have a spirit that goes out and looks at the world around us and says, because I love Jesus, because I believe that Jesus died on the cross, because I believe Jesus emptied himself, taking on 
the image of a servant. If I really believe that, then I need to share that with the world. What does it look like? What does it look like in your life? Friends, there's a lot of people who are struggling right now. I was struck, and I hope you've taken note of it, around the room in which we're worshiping, there are posters about the heroin epidemic in our country, calling children and students to realize the dangers of drugs. We meet in a high school where, unless it is unlike any other high school I've ever experienced, there are children being bullied, there are students who are dealing with real issues, with depression, with anxiety, with all these kinds of things. And yet here we are, worshiping God. You all have been incredibly generous with saving change for the homeless or bringing in shoeboxes, and I know that you do things for the school. What would it look like for all of us to just take a little bit more and realize that we can be a voice for light in the midst of darkness? I have a quick video. Again, this is that whole have to have the cell phone thing. So, oh, not quite yet. Sorry. My bad. I kind of set you up. But I do want you to kind of watch this. Uh, it is important uh, that you uh, pay close attention to it. So don't check out after halfway through, all angry. Just watch the whole video. I'm lost in blindness, and I refuse to believe that I can see. One has to accept a life of darkness. Years from now, I can only tell my children not to believe that simple grace triumphs over utter darkness. I was born in sin, and I was conceived in sin. It doesn't matter to God that I live every day of my life in hopelessness. No longer can it be said that there is a God who hears the cries of his people. My whole life testifies to one truth. Blindness has robbed me of every good thing, and it is no longer true that God saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, I don't know much, but I know one thing for sure. I was born blind with no hope and no future. But then I met Jesus. He turned everything in my life upside down. I was born blind with no hope and no future. Now I don't know much, but I know one thing for sure. God saves those who are crushed in spirit. And it is no longer true that blindness has robbed me of every good thing. My whole life testifies to one truth. There is a God hears the cries of his people. No longer can it be said that I live every day of my life in hopelessness. It doesn't matter to God that I was born in sin and I was conceived in sin. Simple grace triumphs over utter darkness. Years from now, I can only tell my children not to believe that one has to accept a life of darkness. I can see and I refuse to believe that I am lost in blindness.
Friends, the truth of the matter is, is that there are lots of people who believe only the first half of that video. They only see darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 tells us that generosity and giving and a spirit that loves others and wants to serve them proves the earnestness of our faith. And so we have to look at Jesus as the one who has called us into serving others. After all, it was the night before Jesus was betrayed and died that he washed the feet of the disciples and said, you are loved. And just in the same way in which I am serving you now, you go out and serve the world in this way. Friends, generosity shows the world that we're serious about what we do in here on Sunday morning. And I know that you are a generous congregation. Matt and I have talked about the ways in which you are impacting the world around you as a congregation. But just think, what would it look like in this age of divisiveness, of, of, of people feeling lost and alone and isolated? And friends, I see that all the time. I'm a campus minister. What would it look like for Christians to step up and to be generous with their time, their giving, their witness, their service, and their prayer? Jesus took bread that night as well. And I imagine for him, it was one of these things where he was trying to make sure that the disciples understood exactly what they were supposed to do. So after washing their feet, after serving them, he took bread, broke the bread, and said, friends, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Afterwards, he took a cup gave thanks to God, looked at them. And, and I imagine that they're shocked at this point. He said, friends, this is the blood of a new covenant. We're down not just for you, but for many. Take and drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here on these gifts of bread and cup and make them be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we might go out into the world, the body of Christ, hallmarked by generosity, show the world that we are redeemed by Christ's blood. God, be with us this day as we come forward to accept this gift of grace that you've given us, this call, this, this demand to generosity. Show the world. We are not lost in blindness, but instead found in you. God, give us the strength until that day when you come in final victory and we feast at your heavenly banquet. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will those who are assisting with communion please come forward?
This is an open table. You do not have to be a member here or of any United Methodist Church to come and partake in this meal. Come as you feel led. And let us give thanks for the generosity of Christ so that we might go out and be generous people in the world around us. Amen. We also have a gluten-free option if that would be helpful to you. Thank <laughs> you.